Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life examples of successful talent projects. Talent Management Truths is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I discuss actual successes and lessons learned from their experience in our field from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today my guest is Melissa Law. If you're as intrigued as I am by people's career journeys and how they ultimately find their purpose in life and work, then you're in the right place. Over 20 years ago, Melissa Law headed into university with the intention of completing a business degree to follow in her father's footsteps. Today, she is the Vice President of Talent Management at Rivera, one of the largest seniors living companies in Canada. Melissa is also a certified coach and holds her Master's of Industrial Relations degree. Her story is powerful, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed our conversation. Hi, Melissa. It's great to see you here. Listeners, I am pleased to introduce to you Melissa Law, who is the VP of Talent Management at Rivera, which is a seniors living operation in Canada, one of the largest. And Melissa and I go back a few years in our personal network, so it's great to have a chance to reconnect with her and spend some time. Melissa is a long-term leader, very seasoned in HR and in talent management. She's incredibly passionate about helping people to truly be the best version of themselves. For Melissa, it's all about igniting possibilities and inspiring change. She spent time previous to Rivera at Acon and Walmart and Sam's Club. She's really got depth and breadth in our field of talent management. So with that, I would like to welcome Melissa to the show. How are you this morning? I am wonderful. And thank you so much, Lisa, for inviting me to do this with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's it's just it's a neat excuse to spend some time together. So let's kick off with, I'd love to understand a little bit about what inspired you to get into this field of talent management. Well, we're going to go back a few decades then, but it really does go back to my undergraduate days and university. So I went into a business degree with the intention of following in my dad's footsteps and becoming an accountant. And about halfway through second year, I found that I was really gravitating towards what was new back in the 90s, the HR-related courses that were happening. And so I ended up switching my major. And back in the 90s, I'm sure you'll recall that... Are you saying, are you dating us here? Like, what are you, you outing me here? Okay. Yes, we're sisters of the 90s. Come on. But in the 90s, there was a bit of a movement going on. That movement to transform personnel into something with far greater purpose and impact through human resources. I got caught up in the wave, switched my major from accounting to to human resources. And then after going on to grad school and completing my master in, uh, in industrial relations, it was just meant to be. There was no turning back. I was on a mission to work with organizations around 
helping them tap into their most valuable asset, people. Beautiful. That's quite the switch, though, from accounting <laughs> over to people. <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy hearing about people's paths, right? Now, it's interesting that you did it at the university stage of your life. You know, for a lot of people, you know, I was a teacher, for instance, of kids way back for a couple of years. That's where I started and then, you know, ended up with, you know, an adult education and so on. So, but it's just interesting. I know people who are previously in operations or sales and have come into the people talent management space. Yeah. Well, you know, I honestly think that back in university, I would attribute a lot of that switch over to one of my professors and mentors for many years. So Professor Maeve Quaid, she was the professor who was leading the charge at Trent University around the HR stream. She was the organizational behavior professor and other pieces there. And she became very much my mentor during university and beyond. And my role model, because they're so wanted to emulate her confidence, her presence. I wanted to have her subject matter expertise in an area that was purposeful. And so I I think she was, besides the fact that we offered these courses and they were available, I think it was having that role model and that mentor that really sparked the passion in me. Ignited that passion that that you were telling me about in the green room earlier. So. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. And you mentioned, you know, the word purposeful, that that's clearly very important to you. How else has that played out in your career? I would say that having a meaningful purpose, not just from a work perspective, like, you know, for your job or your department or anything, but having a meaningful purpose is like having a compass, like having some guideposts to help you make those decisions that are going to fulfill you that are going to make you say, yes, this is what I meant to do. This is how I meant to leave my footprint in life. And so that has, even before I realized what it was, Mm -hmm. having a meaningful purpose was something that was very much a guidepost for me in making my career decisions and helping guide me in assessing and, and proposing things for the organizations I've been privileged to work with. And then being able to really build that passion among other people to make something awesome happen. It is so important. I, I mean, I think back to my own career and, and I was so passionate throughout and just it was just with joy, right? Just throw myself into my work. I think, though, that the purpose and the meaning came a bit later, probably in my last corporate role where it was in seniors living as well, the space you operate in. And I remember when we first met, you, you, you being attracted to that space because It's about helping our vulnerable population, the seniors, right? And my dad, till he passed last year, lived with me for 13 years. And so, you know, it was very, very much a heart-driven decision to join an organization like that. What what about you? From a purpose perspective? Yeah, like where did it show up in your career? Like, it sounds like it's been there all along. Would you say that need to live into the purpose got stronger Yes, I would absolutely say that it was an evolution. And I'd say that probably the first point of awareness for me was halfway through my career when I was still with Walmart. And I started to become aware of if I'm helping people succeed 360 degrees around me, I'm I'm leaving a footprint. And if I'm doing that without any expectation of recompense, like it's like I want to help people be successful. Then I started to see and I started to learn that things would come and happen naturally for me. 
And so it took in those earlier days of my career, I started to realize that this is important without putting a label of purpose on it. And then I, I would be fully honest to say that it was a few years ago here at Rivera that I was trying to find a way to articulate why I love my job so much. People say, well, what do you do? What do you do? And, you know, speaking to like even my, my in-laws or my parents, what's talent management? And it, <laughs> only the people in talent management kind of really understand that. Others think that it's like tiny talent time. Like we're, we're, yes. we, we, we were an agency for actors or something. Exactly. Exactly. And so at that time, I, I finally said, well, you know what? I have an amazing job that allows me to help people be the best version of themselves. And that's truly how I have captured what I do. And my purpose came a little bit after that. As we were talking earlier, I mentioned about going through my, my coaching certification and the power of that. I went in to learn a model, uh, a methodology on how to coach and to bring it into Rivera. And I didn't expect the transformation that would come out of it personally. And it was through that process where I really started to think bigger around purpose. And that's where I realized where I get my fulfillment from, where you can see the massive passion come to light and where there's just like no stopping is around igniting possibilities, whether they're personal or professional, individual, group or organizational. When I'm doing that, life is great. Yeah, it's so interesting that igniting possibilities and Part of, part of the reason for this podcast is it's, it's talent management truths for a reason, because there's lots of talent management companies, you know, some of the big ones, right, with a lot of power, money and PhDs behind them. And they're fabulous. And I follow them and, and read their research. This one is, is more around applied theory. We both have a, a lot of education in the space, different certifications and so on. You've got your MIR. This is around how do we apply it in real life? What does it look like in truth? So I'm curious for you, when you think about igniting possibility, what does it look like? If I were to peek into the Rivera windows, that might be a little creepy, but let's say I was just looking <laughs> through the window at you and your team, for instance, how do you go about igniting possibilities when it's so tough because you're often stuck in the middle in talent, right? You're trying to please the senior leaders, the C-suite who want everything, transform departments and leaders in half a day when you're saying you need two months, you know, this kind of thing. And you're trying to support everybody. So what, what, yeah. do you, what does it look like for you? So it's not as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> it's not proof. It's the possibilities. Everybody jump on the, the talent management train. It certainly doesn't happen like that. But what it does look like is in the formation of though, it's a lot of observation, a lot of conversation and asking big open-ended questions. And then starting to really connect the dots and think, where are we? Where do we need to be? And then the possibilities that sit in that gap between those two. And that's the fun part of coming up to it. Then, oh my goodness, how do you help other people see that? How do you get the buy-in? And that's the not so glamorous stuff. And so what I have really learned, the big truth that I have learned that I didn't want to accept for the longest time. In fact, I fought it and fought it and fought it until finally I realized we don't think the same, is that senior leaders are less concerned about envisioning how to be best in class. Best in class does not matter. It, it's just a cliche and it's a word, quite honestly, that is overused in HR. 
Senior leaders want to know, what is the problem you're going to solve? What am I going to have at the end of all this? Exactly. And so it's about coming to the table with conviction and confidence and being able to articulate, here's the problem and here's the solution. And if we do this, then here's what you're going to get. Even if, to me, I don't see it as a problem. Even if, to me, I see this is how we proactively move forward, that's not going to sell it. No one is really interested in what should we do proactively because they are so caught up in what do I need today to get to there. You need to anchor it in something, and it really is anchoring it in what's the problem. What matters? Yeah, it's so interesting in our coaching work, right? Here, where you and I are both certified coaches, we really focus on the opportunity, the proactive side, being really intentional about how to move forward. And it's interesting to hear you sort of frame it as in an organization when you're dealing with people that aren't necessarily in that kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah. they're not because they're they're trying to get stuff done. There's like it's go 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 go. You need to kind of speak their language, and this comes up a lot in the work I do as a thought partner in the space and as a coach with different leaders, right, is, is getting that buy-in. It's not about what you're passionate about. You're somebody who ignites passion in others. That's what you want to do. And yet it sounds like you are choosy about the language you use when you're seeking buy-in. Very much so. Very much so. Because we all know all too well, there's not an endless well of financial resources to create amazing programs and processes and tools to support strategic direction. There just isn't. If you can do it without cost, great, but they still have to think about where am I dividing the time of my leaders, of my operators, of my frontline employees. So whether it's financial cost or resourcing cost, they have to make a decision. And leadership really is about saying no to great ideas. Mm. You can't be a Can you leader. Say that again. Oh, that's yes. huge. Leadership is about saying no to great ideas because as a senior leader, you can't say yes to everything. So sometimes you do have to say, many times you have to say no to what is an awesome idea. So how do you anchor that awesome idea, that Austin awesome vision? into something that's meaningful now and in the future that you might up the ante on getting a yes to move forward with it. It's very, very compelling. I think this is going to be an interesting kind of thing for people to noodle, right? That leadership is often about saying no to great ideas. So how do you get buy-in on the one great idea? You're saying no to a bunch. How do you make the one you really want shine? One is about really being attuned to and knowing where your company's at. And if I could tell a story, can I give you the Please. long answer? So way back early in my career, when I was in my early days with Walmart, I had a fabulous leader, Paul Ratzlatt, who is long retired. And I was trailblazing and creating a proposal back in the 90s about creating people managers in the stores because our personnel early employees were, had really started to evolve and work that they were doing because of the needs in the front line. And so we had, I had an amazing research foundation. I had a project layout. We got approvals with piloted and it fizzled. And back then in my twenties, I felt like I had failed. And I sat there one day with Paul and he said to me in his so gentle manner, he said, you know, sometimes organizations just aren't ready for what they need and you didn't fail. We just weren't ready for that. 
And some six years later, when I came back from my first maternity leave, I met a new person on the team who was leading the project of implementing people managers. Of course. And they said, I found this binder, your old binder. I don't understand why it didn't go the first time because you basically have everything here in the binder. And with six years wisdom now under my belt and a wonderful mentor, I said, we just weren't ready for it. Now we're ready. So sometimes that having that perspective and that openness of knowing what's ready. And so it sounds a bit odd, but I have shared this with mentees as well. Sometimes what I will do when I know there's something big, important, is I use the, the metaphor of, you know what, I'll pack a snowball and I'll lob it out. If it melts, I'm going to leave it. This is not the snowball or the sword I'm going to die on. If people start to get behind it and push it, then I am right there beside them making a snowman. That's a beautiful metaphor. It's really, really compelling. In my younger days and, and all too often in our profession, we get frustrated by, well, they're not listening to me. They're not doing it. Well, sometimes they're just not ready to do it. And so we can't be so attached to things. And there's been many snowballs I've lobbed out there that have melted. And then a couple of years later, just like the Walmart example, someone came back and said, we need this. Oh, well, let me just pull that back up for you. Let's go for it. So that's kind of my approach, which doesn't sound very scientific, which doesn't sound very methodical, but it seems to work. And for some, for the listeners, something more concrete that I would share is one, do your research. Two, know your stuff. Be confident. Confidence is king in our business. Yep. Show up with that presence. Yes, absolutely. Helps senior leaders see why what you're proposing or developing is needed and how the organization is going to benefit from it. And then run with it with conviction. Oh, run with it with conviction. Absolutely. You have to believe in it, right, to get buy-in. I think, I think sometimes, you know, I hear from some leaders that they're not quite convinced themselves. They think this should be the right thing. Or they'll say, no, what do you think? What do you think about that? Where would you like to start? Well, it's not up to the people you're trying to convince to come up with that and do the work. So I like to give different options. Here's the current state. Here's where we've all agreed. We want to go future state. Here are two or three ways we can get there. I recommend option A, but we do have B and C. There's different variations of cost and time, effort, you know, that kind of thing. What do you see working about each of these options? What do you see not working? And, and that's key. So you use the word options, right? Senior leaders need options. They need options to say no to, options to say yes to. They need options for buy-in, options for buy-out. And it was during my time with Acon when I was hired specifically to create the vision and the strategy and then execute on designing, developing and launching a corporate university. And so Acon University was born. And the way that I really proposed this and its, and its supporting programs was that we're building the airplane in the air. And so don't worry, I don't have all the answers. I don't have everything lined out because we don't know where we're going to have to course correct or what's going to happen. So we can get the plane off the ground. We have a GPS, but we're going to build the rest of it while we're flying. And that allows for flexibility and agility to be able to address what's changing year over year or sometimes quarter after quarter. In my experience, that's important to senior leaders as well. I don't want, they don't want to necessarily commit to something very rigid. 
that's either going to take too long or that can't flex based on the changing business because we live in a dynamic world. Yeah. And I, and I think that's another key point of influence because this is really what we're talking about influence and buy-in. And this seems to be the theme here, always making sure that the people you're, you're trying who spy on you, you really want, you're trying to get helping them see this is, you know, I used to say, Apparently, you can't say this as much now. Everyone loves a pilot um, because they do. But now a lot of people are on to the pilot, right? The pilot yeah. comes and it usually stays. But really where I'm coming from is this idea that if you're up front that, hey, we're going to try this out and then we're going to modify it and we're going to adjust based on real-time implementation. So please know, we know that this isn't the end game, right? So we're going to continually be consulting with you to make sure that we evolve as we get more information. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's really, you know, it's a key piece of change management, isn't it, right? It's always about talking about what's what's our intention, just being upfront, just saying, this is our intention, this is, this is what we foresee, you know, managing those expectations so that there's going to be some inevitable bumps in the road and around implementation and, oh, we thought it would work this way, it's not working that way. I mean, this goes for not just talent management, but any function, really, you know, operations, any, anywhere where you're putting in something new. We've got to help people bring them along willingly, right? By giving them enough context, involving them enough. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about, so we've talked a lot about getting buy-in from senior leaders and you're well positioned to talk about that being on the senior team at Rivera. What about your team? You're, how, so you're, you're responsible for more than one, I think, in your portfolio. At Rivera, within the, the talent management portfolio, we have talent acquisition. And talent acquisition is the biggest team supporting both our salaried recruitment as well as our, we have in the last year, we implemented a talent sourcing team that helps support at the front lines and sourcing, not full cycle recruitment, but sourcing for critical frontline hourly roles. We also have our talent development inclusion team, which is responsible for Rivera University, all of our talent processes, our mentorship program, our coaching program, all of those pieces. And then we have Total Rewards and our small but mighty Total Rewards team has an interesting portfolio. Of course, they have compensation and benefits, but within our group as well, we have incorporated performance management and well-being. Ah, okay. So that is the portfolio for talent management at Rivera. So you've got quite a, a wide breadth of accountability really here. So when you think about, you know, and they're all quite different functions, right? To have total rewards doesn't always sit under talent management. That would be a little more rare, I think. Talent acquisition, certainly. When you're talking to your team, you're doing your quarterly, everybody's together, whatever it looks like, or annual. Yeah. How do you influence these varied teams and people to want to go out and support the employees and leaders in your organization to the best of their ability. So I'll go back to the beginning when I started with Rivera because there wasn't, I was brought in to create the talent management team. There was a, a small learning group and then there was a small recruitment group at the time. And so they said, come in, create a talent management function. We'll give you these two teams and, and go from there. And so you made the comment, or we talked earlier about people like, what is talent management? Even these two teams, as we sat down, I don't get it. Why are, why are we coming together on, under one umbrella? What is talent management? So 
we have to start within our own team so that we would be preaching from the same page and understanding it. And so in those early days, five and a half years ago, we started internally with, okay, forget about titles. We work together. So we worked on, I had the team do some research and to start to read and understand what is talent management compared to HR, compared to OD, so they could start to understand some basics of it. But then we worked through creating our own mission statement for our team, because as people and professionals take out what you do, we all wanted the same thing. They all wanted to be known as subject matter experts and partners to the HR and the business teams out there. And they all wanted to be able to enable managers to develop and grow their teams. And everybody unanimously agreed that the reason why we do that is to advance the company strategy. So we started to build that common mission and build out the strategy to be able to see how do these pieces fit together at the various points of the employee life cycle and how important it is for us to be able to work together, talk together, share and integrate at certain points. And in those days, we only had the talent acquisition team and the learning development or sorry, the talent development inclusion team. And then I was actually talking with someone on our team who's been here since the day I joined. And she said, you know, I remember back then that you had said, well, we should have total awards too, but that doesn't exist yet. And so now we do. A couple of years ago, it was brought in. And so it's all about helping people see that we are responsible for creating the, the strategy, the programs, and the tools that support each piece of the employee life cycle from job search to retirement. And so then they can start to see and work together. And we also do a lot of cross-functional work as well because well-being or diversity inclusion, there's no walls to those things. And, and I think it comes back to that context of purpose again. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. We've circled back to purpose. Yes, exactly. So what is the purpose of this function, of this team, of the roles, the team, of the people that are on the team? And how do we do that together? And so having a meaningful purpose that binds people together is critical getting their buy-in and inspiring them to move forward and seeing if I do this, then this impact will exist. Yeah, it really helps people align, you know, the intention, the purpose, right, with our actual impact. It's it's like the Simon Sinek, what's your why, right? Really getting clear. Like there's yeah. what we do and how we do it and what's the why? Why do we do it? So yeah, yeah that's a really excellent example. I appreciate you sharing kind of how you how you started. It's that managing expectations. It's setting yourself and your team up for success from the get-go and then evolving along the way because your role has changed and changed and the teams have grown. Well, and you have to be consistent as a leader of a, a team and a strategy. So I remember way back in the days of Walmart and the people side and we would have a people strategy, but it changed. It changed every year. And so someone would say, can you send me the five-year strategy? I'm like, which version? And it was really frustrating. We've been very intentional and consistent. Our strategy has not changed over the five years. What evolves and changes are the annual initiatives that bring it to life. And so that consistency has been really important and we have pressure tested it. So you mentioned about quarterly meetings and annual meetings. So when we get together for those, quarter, for those annual meetings, I asked my team to go out and connect with their client groups, connect with the people you support, 
ask what's their biggest challenges. Ask what's most important to them. Ask how you can best serve them. And then let's come back all together and see if this strategy still applies. And we have yet to change that. Yeah, it's that it's that really core. Eve used the term anchoring today. So it's it's that anchor beneath the what we're putting out in the world is changing, but it's all anchored back firmly in that strategy, that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us and, and give, giving us a sneak peek behind the scenes of how you operate with your team. As we go to wrap up here, I'd like to ask you one more key question, which I think is really important, which is, What's one piece of advice you would tell yourself back at the start of your career if you had the chance? One, just one, eh? Yeah. I've learned so much, so much over the decades. Okay. I'm going to bring us for a full circle back to to this piece and say, as far as advice goes, I've I've had many learnings about confidence, many learning about relationships and all that. But I think the advice I would tell myself back in those younger years is, to really network and pay it forward and start early. I've learned that people undervalue networking. Or they think it's a, it's a dirty word. It's really funny. They, there's yes. a negative connotation for a lot of people. Exactly. And, and they're like, well, why would I do that? Well, I'll tell you what. Get downsized. Lose your job. Need to, to find something else and you'll realize why. Go out on your own. And create a business and you'll realize if you haven't invested and valued a network that you're going to have to work extra hard. And so having a genuine network of peers, whether it serves a specific purpose or not, it comes back to that piece of helping people 360 degrees around you. Pay it forward again with no expectation of recompense of return on that. Just pay it forward with people because those people you will impact in some way, shape or form. And you may never know and they may never tell you or one day down the road, it might come back to you as well. And you go, wow, I'm so glad I did that all those years ago. Networking and pay it forward, sharing ideas, helping to make a connection for someone who's looking for a job, having a mentoring call with someone, talking about careers, sharing advice, sharing lessons learned, helping them brainstorm around a strategy or structure or program. These are all things that are part of networking. Networking isn't just, will you connect with me on LinkedIn? That is not networking. Collecting business cards at a conference. Yeah, exactly. Networking is building a full interconnected group of people who can support and help and encourage and cheer on each other and be there to offer something to them. And that is something I would advise my 20-something self to do from the very beginning and to stay diligent about it. Thank you. I think that's tremendous advice. I share that as well. I, I've been a nurturer of my network for a long time, but when I think about early in my career, you tend to, you know, there's that expression, skate with your head down, because you're just like, whatever's coming at you, you're saying yes, and you're just going and, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing yourself into it when you're coming up, coming up, so to speak, is what I see in a lot of people in our area. What I'm hearing you describe is it's like, put your head up, be open, reach out, take a couple minutes to connect with people here and there, like do the introduction for them, mentor them. It's be kind and don't be too busy for these things. They're not unimportant. Yeah. When you have your, I like how you said, have your head up and be kind. When you are open to that, then 
you will find even faster what fulfills you. And when you find what fulfills you, you'll get closer to being able to articulate what that meaningful purpose is for you. And then you find a flow. It's all about the flow. Finding the flow with your purpose. (laughs) Thank you so much, Melissa. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation and connecting with you. And I think you've shared some really important pieces of wisdom and a nice peek into what talent management really looks like inside organizational culture. So thank you very much for being a guest here today. My pleasure. And thank you for inviting me, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Oh, and each month, I'll select one lucky reviewer to receive their free personal True Tilt profile. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.